So my question for you today is, are you happy? <laughs> That's a complicated question. Uh, sometimes parents will say to their kids, I just want you to be happy. I don't think any of us really knows what that means exactly. We sort of know it when we're in it. Sort of. Today I want to talk to you about joy. Now sometimes people like me, preacher types, we want to make a big distinction between joy and happy, joyful and happy. I don't think there's a big distinction, at least when we're talking about emotions. The emotion of joy and the emotion of happy are pretty much the same thing. When we make this distinction though, what we are trying to do is notice something deeper and give that the word joy and the surfacey kind of happy we call happy. So whatever. Feeling is the same. Today I want to talk to you about the joy of the Lord. And the I want to read to you from Psalm 16. The last two verses of the psalm. And by the way, this psalm, these verses are quoted in the New Testament in reference to Christ and his resurrection. Where we read in Psalm 16, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, in the New Testament, that verse is uh, cited as a, prof, a prophetic psalm, a messianic psalm referring to the resurrection of Christ. He would not be left in the grave. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, at your right hand. Now I ask you, you've read the New Testament. What is at the right hand of God the Father? God the Son. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's the thing we should first notice about the joy of the Lord, and that is this. Our God is a joyful person's. Now, you might know English well enough to know that that is bad grammar. And yet, I don't know of a better way other than to use that bad grammar to talk about God. Because God is a being in three persons. And so he is a joyful persons. And you can see it right there in Psalm 16. Or you could see it in Matthew 3.17 when Jesus is baptized and God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then in the transfiguration where Peter's talking about, man, we got to build a temple and God interrupts him and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
great joy comes to the Father in the Son. John 8, chapter 20, and repeatedly, as you might remember in the book of John, Jesus says, I always do what pleases him. His joy, he says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus gains, the son gains satisfaction in pleasing the father who is pleased. There is joy forevermore in the presence of the living God. Now here's something. Joy is a shared thing. You know, it's really not possible to be joyful really fully all in yourself. Joy is in other. (laughs) And so there is in the triune God eternal joy. They've always been pleased and satisfied by each other, in each other, for each other. There's always been this fellowship, this joyful fellowship this mutual glory. Joy is full in sharing with another. Our God is a joyful person and always has been and always will be. He's never experienced a shortage of joy. It is not really right or proper to talk about God experiencing anything you might call need or lack. It's actually somewhat confusing to talk about things that don't please Him, though such things are, which we'll get to here in a minute. But our God is a joyful person's And he created us as to be an extension of his joy. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And man is intended to spread the glory of God around the created universe. The nature and character of God You know, in the creation story, periodically God stops and assesses what he's made. And he says, ah, that's good. Good, that's good. And he, I don't know, three or four times. That's good, that's good, that's good. Then God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so he does, and he blesses man, and he gives him the commandment, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? The likeness and image of God. That's what? Extend. It's only then that God says, very good. You see, everything else was made to be the house of man. 
Everything else was made to be the venue of the activity of man, the joyful activity of glorifying God by being His image, by presenting His image, by living in fellowship with Him, that's likeness, and reflecting that fellowship into the world around us and to each other, that's image. God created us to be an extension of His joy. You know, after God, after you have that summary where God says, let's make man in our image, and then God makes man in that image, and then God blesses his man, the man, God creates him male and female, according to his image, and then he says, very good. And then in chapter 2, we get the detail, because he makes Adam first. And then he leads Adam on a partner search. What's he need a partner for? Here's the thing. God is a fellowship of persons. And if we are to be made in God's image, we must be a fellowship of persons. We can't be just one guy. And so God says, well, let's find a partner. This is the first time we read, it is not good that the man should be alone. So God brings the animals by. There's an animal parade. (laughs) And he, he's finding out what Adam's going to call this or that, and blah, 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 animal, 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 animal. And in the middle of the animal parade, really at the conclusion of the animal parade, it's, the scripture says this, there was not found a suitable partner. So now we know the point of the parade. There was not found a suitable partner. So Adam, God put Adam to sleep, took the rib, made the woman, brings the woman. Here's what Adam said. Finally! In the polite grammar of the translation of the scripture, it says, at last. (laughs) Joy. Adam was utterly stunned by Eve. And he said, wow, that's what we're talking about. That's actually a pretty good translation of the Hebrew text. That's what I'm talking about. Joy. And the very biology of these two people was designed for mutual fellowship, intimacy, and joy in it. And it is, in fact, part of an essential element of our bearing of God's image in the world. And, of course, critical to be fruitful and multiply. The Lord created us as an extension of His joy. But we know what happened in chapter 3. The third thing I want to say about the joy of the Lord is that everything that challenges and disrupts joy, 
is the result of our alienation from God. That happened in chapter 3. Everything. Whatever makes you question the goodness of God is the consequence of that alienation from God. Of that separation and isolation. By the way, it wasn't just from God. It was from each other. You know, if you read Genesis chapter 3, as soon as they ate the fruit, as soon as they disobeyed God, as soon as they doubted the goodness of God and trusted their own judgment instead of His Word, the whole system collapsed. The very first thing that happens is they realize they're naked. And that level of unashamed intimacy is no longer regarded as good by them. Why? Well, that other person is no longer to be trusted. You see, when our faith in God fails, our faith in everything fails. And so now I know she was willing to... I I don't trust her the way I used to. And this is why relationships every... Time since then has a struggle of trusting intimacy. It doesn't just happen like it just happened that first time. It doesn't happen that way anymore. You got to work, you got to struggle, and it's very difficult to maintain. It's very easy to wonder what's going on in the mind of that other person. And that disruption of joy is the consequence of our separation from the joyful one himself, the joyful ones. So we're alienated from him and consequently alienated from each other. That is what makes us sinners. Just to be clear. You see, to act in righteousness requires the work of God in the life of a human being. Apart from that, we can only fake righteousness. We can obey, you know, some law of goodness for some period of time. But even that is not real because it's not from Him. Real righteousness is always from Him, lived out in us. 
likeness in image. And so when we're alienated from him, this is the source of our depravity. This is why we are sinners. We are not sinners because one day we committed a sin. Oops. We are sinners because we don't have what it takes to do right. We live apart from Him. And because we're alienated, we're depraved. And because we're depraved, we sin. And because we sin, suffering has come into the world. And not just suffering, death. The whole creation broke that day. And everything, it doesn't matter what it is that has disrupted or challenges your joy is the consequence of that coming apart from God. Well, that's a sad story. But we believe in good news. And the good news is joy is restored by Christ in Christ. In John chapter 15, you know, the story of the vine and the branches abide in me, and I, for you abide in me, and I abide in you. You'll bear much fruit. Ask whatever you want, it'll be given to you. And then Jesus says, why he's telling us these things. John chapter 8. I'm sorry, that's not right. John chapter 15, verse 8. Okay, start with verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Fruit. Hmm. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How does Jesus keep his Father's commandments? Does he keep them under burden? Does he obey the Father because it's obey or else? No. He's told us, no, I love to do the Father's will. The thing that brings me joy is to bring him joy. And Jesus is saying that's the sort of obedience that can happen in the one who abides in him. Not the old way of obey or else. The new way of, it's a joy to please the one who gives you life. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Oh, I skipped a bit. The important bit. These things I have spoken to you that my 
joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Where is the fullness of joy? In the presence of God. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm telling you this, abide in me and you have restored fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit. You now actually can have joy. And not just any old joy, not the transitory happiness kind of joy that we were talking about earlier, that, you know, it's, it's uh, man, we had fun today kind of joy. No. His joy, which we know is eternally grounded in the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that joy is available to us when we abide in him. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Joy is restored by Christ and in Christ. How? Joy is restored by our reconciliation to God. How does he do that? We're sinners alienated from God. That is not a condition we can remedy. How does he do it? The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, the joy of our salvation, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's how. In his death, we are reconciled. We are reconciled according to Ephesians chapter 2, to each other, and then together as one new man to him. Uh. Joy is restored by our reconciliation to God, and our reconciliation to God is accomplished in Christ by the Spirit. You were brought to faith in Christ by the work of the Spirit in your heart and mind, so that you could see Christ for real. You see him as he is and not as the blind world sees him. Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second thing? Joy. Joy. Now, there's, there's only one fruit. There's not a list of fruits. And the words that are given in that verse to talk about the fruit of the Spirit are, is a list of descriptions of the one thing the Spirit produces, all described by those various words. <coughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, I'm sure I'm forgetting them, faithfulness. Those are all different words for one thing, the fruit of the Spirit. 
You can't have joy apart from love, can you? I guess we all knew that. The very day Adam said, yeah, that's what they were talking about. He experienced the love of God in the provision of his wife. And he received joy. Our joy is restored in our restored fellowship with the living God in Christ so that God, because of his great love with which he loved us, raised us up together with Christ and has seated us together with Christ at the right... Earlier I asked you, who's at the right hand of God? Everyone knows Jesus. Who else? You! Where there is fullness of joy. Don't forget to go sit down in there from time to time and experience the fullness of joy that is in Christ by remembering to walk in fellowship with God and to exhibit His love, grace, joy, peace, all those things in the world. Bear the image of God in the world, which you now can do in Christ by the Spirit. (coughs) If you can... Why don't you? You see, it's not a demand anymore. It's an opportunity. Because of the work of God in you, the law of God is transformed for you. From heavy, impossible burden to delightful opportunity. So the joy of the Lord is my strength. My joy is not my strength. The joy of the Lord operating in me is my strength. Misery is turned inside out and upside down. Death is reversed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All creation, even now, is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God in the end. The resurrection of the community of believers will heal the universe. The great grace and work of God. James 1 says, rejoice, count it all joy. When you suffer any kind of hardship. Well, apart from Jesus, that's just nutty. That's just dumb, wrong. It's bad. It's not even, it's, if, if there's no Jesus, that advice is just something like pretend. It's like the song, don't worry, be happy. That's ridiculous, except for the cross of Christ. Uh, Romans 5 says the same thing. We rejoice in trouble 
knowing that God in the, in the trouble is producing the joy that will be ours in the end. The joy of reflecting his image once again. So Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. If I just tell you to rejoice, That could work for a minute. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in whatever's troubling you. That text actually, and the Bible says this more than once, don't worry about anything. You know, I can worry about something in about a quarter second. I can, I, you know what I do? I invent stuff to worry about that might happen. What if someone, oh my gosh, that's so idiotic. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't worry about anything. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, the text, Philippians chapter 4, have you read it? Here's one of those texts you should just read once or twice a day. I said chapter 4. Now you know how much sleep I've gotten. It's chapter 3. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I know it's right here. It is four. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness, gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. The Lord, here's what that means. The Lord is standing by for you and could show up at any second. The Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The God who gave his son freely will not deprive you of any good thing. Trust him. The Lord is at hand. Trust him. When we come to the table, that's all. We uh, sang that song earlier. I'm 
going to mess up whoever's book this is. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just from Jesus, simply taking. Taking life, rest, joy, peace. Life, rest, joy, peace. When we come to God, we are receivers, not providers. This is what the table reminds us. We don't bring anything here. We come and get it. We simply receive something that is freely given. I don't have to shape up first. I bring my messed up self to the table and receive. So many times in the church you will hear some pastor say, you need to, you know, scrutinize your life, make sure there's no sin. I regard that as kind of a pointless exercise. Jesus came for you, sinner, and his righteous life is given to you if you just rest in that fact. That's what we do. That's what we remember when we come to the table. I just get it. I don't have to pay anything. I think when I receive it, it's going to change things. But I just come and get it. So let's come to the table together and remember the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Father, we give you thanks for the table, the body and the blood of Christ given for us to establish this new covenant in which we stand on the basis of your grace alone and not on the basis of anything we provide. Lord, you're too good. But we give you thanks. And we come to you in Christ to receive your mercy. Amen.